This is Justin Michael Williams, and welcome to the Kingdom Podcast. This is for everyone. All beliefs are welcome here. And so it doesn't matter if you call it God, spirit, the universe, crystal, science, or unicorns. You are welcome here. This is our moment to connect to something greater. This is our moment to remember how powerful we really are. Welcome to the kingdom. We begin each session with a prayer. Let's begin. God, spirit, universe, all that is, all that ever has been and all that ever will be, we thank you. We love you. Thank you for protecting us always. And thank you for bringing us together. I pray that all words that are spoken here in the chat box and beyond are used for the benefit of all. So it is. Ashe, aho, salam, shalom. Amen. Satnam Awen Om. Thank you. All right, Kingdom family. Ah, oh, it just always feels so good to be praying with you all each week. And so I'm so grateful to be in this space, dropping into this space with you for a whole year. And so excited to, uh, be bringing you all and to be right here where it all started, <laughs> where it all started. Uh, many of you know the idea for the kingdom came to me at Esalen in the shower. <laughs> and so everything, you know, bringing you here is, is the greatest joy of my life. And so let's get into our teaching, shall we? I have a very special guest for us today. And our topic today that we're going to be covering is called Sorry, wrong slide, it's not called that. The topic that we're gonna be covering, covering today is called the power of tiny rituals. The power of tiny rituals. And this is such a fun topic. As soon as our special guest like sent me this title, I was like, that's it. This is exactly what our community needs. And who I have coming to join us today is an incredible leader, ritual designer, artist, and educator named Ezra Bookman. I want you to, everybody to type in Ezra's name in the chat box so you don't forget his name because this is important. And Ezra has been featured by the New York Times, by Vice, by The Atlantic. And I want to show you some incredible things that this brother has put together. Look at these beautiful, so these ain't tiny rituals. These are big rituals. <laughs> these are big rituals. But I just want to show you, he's done, he is a ritual designer and has planned rituals all over the globe, big and small, little rituals, big rituals, and is gonna help us today tap into the power of rituals in our own life and get really clear on what those rituals are. Look at this one. This is just an incredible ritual that he did. And this is like just a little clip of the picture. So it's so incredible for us to be able to have Ezra here today. And so Ezra, welcome. I'm bringing you up to the kingdom stage. Welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> Oh my gosh, it's so good to be here. <laughs> oh, it is so good to have you here, Ezra. Like, truly, it's such a gift. And, 
You know, I, I think one of the ways that I want to start, and we'll get into your story and all these different things and our communities here, just typing in your name and so excited to have you here, is why the hell do rituals matter so much? Why, why have you dedicated your whole life to rituals and why should we even care about them so much in this way? It's such a good question and that I could take the next 50 minutes maybe to talk about it. So I'll try to condense it down. And actually, I, I like to actually um, begin to reflect on this question um, with an example of a ritual. They're like, tell a little story and then break it down and ask why. You know, we um, here, so go for it. <laughs> I, um, there's a, the ritual that I end up thinking about the most um, is this video I saw on Facebook um, of the Akron's Children's Hospital. And it's this video of Matt, he's 18 years old, and he had just finished three years of treatment for leukemia. Um, and it was his final day. He was finally leaving the hospital. And so the video starts, you're like in the hallway of a hospital um, and you see him sort of turn the corner and there's like a, two nurses with like a sheet of white paper and he like you know, bust through the paper and he starts walking down the hallway and the, and the video starts sort of panning down and you see the whole hallway is filled with all of his friends and family and they're clapping and cheering and they got like little kazoos and noisemakers and they're like going nuts and he walks down and he gets to the, the end of the hallway where there's this golden bell and it's the, the cancer-free golden bell that he rings and he rings it like so intensely like it almost falls over. Um, and like he's crying and everyone in the hallway is crying and usually I'm crying because <laughs> just thinking about it and he walks back through this passageway of love to his parents who are there at the end and he sort of collapses into their arms and they hug him and and in an interview afterwards he says like this is the most that was the most important day of my life yeah and I find that so interesting right because it had nothing to do with his treatment right it wasn't it wasn't the hospital it wasn't the thing that actually cured him and so what's going on there like why why was that the most important day of his life what else is going on there that has nothing to do that's like functionally opaque in some way because when you talk to evolutionary biologists and scientists and i know you love science um they 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 say that you know cultures that had rituals should have died out right if you were sacrificing 10 percent of your animals and grains to God, instead of eating them, you should have been at an evolutionary disadvantage to people who were just eating all their food. And yet there's ritual in every culture in the world through all of human history till today. So there's something that's like really powerful. That's like beyond the veil. That's a little hidden that's yeah. happening. Well, inside you know it's so wild Ezra, as I'm, as you said, like, why is that day the most important day of his life? And I'm thinking about, you know, the way that you just described that of like, Here's this child who went through chemotherapy, who was in the hospital, all these different moments that actually were important, as we can say, like logically, you know, with our left brain about what actually kept him alive and what was should have been important to him. And you're saying his most important moment was that moment walking through with the family and the, and the whole thing. And so it's so fascinating because I'm even thinking of all the moments in my life that I that. I remember as being incredibly important and you're right. So many of them have some level of ritual to them in some way. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because in the last 15, 20 years or so, 
ritual use was, has been studied for a while, but primarily by sociologists, archaeologists, and anthropologists. And so recently, behavioral scientists have been looking at ritual and bringing it into the lab and studying, like, what's going on? Why, do hum- why does humanity love ritual so much? What's happening? And there's studies that have shown that rituals increase the feeling of control, increase creativity, regulate emotions. They help people deal with transitions. Um, they enhance performance. There's a lot of sports ritual that they, that's studied because it decreases anxiety. It motivates and bonds people. Um, one of my favorite studies is actually um, they gave two groups of uh, people the same chocolate bar and they told them to eat it and then rate it. And one, they gave like a little ritual tool. They like, you know, like unwound it and then like tapped it and smelled it or whatever and made it. Um, and that control group rated the chocolate bar as more expensive, better tasting, better quality, you know, all the above. Um, so ritual can actually improve the quality of an experience as well. Wow. Which is fascinating. Um, I like to think of four main reasons why we do ritual. Um, okay. And this is I love, I love lists. You know, I love lists. Okay. Community, Same. we're going to type all four of these in so you guys remember it. All right. So let's go. Um, all right. So rituals slow us down. Rituals slow Basically. us down. Number one. Right. They disrupt the automatic and the habitual. They, they, they ha- and, and by doing so, they help us be more conscious, grateful you know, present. Um, and I think that that's needed more now than ever, I would say. Um, Pico Ayer, who I will probably quote at least maybe three more times uh, in the course of this conversation, um, actually in an interview that he did at Esalen, he, he, said, um, he said, the only cure for distraction is attention. I love that. Ah. Cure for distraction is attention. I love that. The only cure for distraction is attention. Beautiful. So So ritual brings us to attention. Yes. Slow down. Um, Embody values is number two. Rituals make the intangible tangible. Um, And especially around our values, what matters to us, what we care about. And especially as a community, right? Like everybody here that's in the kingdom coming together for this shared experience is an enactment of the values that you hold as a, as a community. So rituals help us bring us into shared space to experience and share and express our values. Beautiful. Number two. Uh, number three is connect to others. Um, you know, and I would say to your to, to your question, we are in a loneliness epidemic in this moment. Um, we are more disconnected than ever from ourselves and from each other. So ritual helps us combat that. So what about though, like as I'm thinking of, what about people who are like doing rituals alone? Like, how does that still connect? Does that still connect you to others in some way, even if you're by yourself? Yeah. So great question. Um, so that, there's, there's two elements to that. One, there's been a study that has shown that we feel connected to other people who do the same ritual as us, even if you're not doing it at the same time. Mm. Just knowing that they perform the same ritual as us connects us to them. And I would say, like, if y'all who are here at the kingdom, if you were at a dinner party and you ran into someone and they're like, I go to the kingdom and you're like, what? I go to the kingdom, no way. You would feel connected to them, right? right. Um, so I think that that sort of bears out over time. Um, so that's, that's one element. Um, and I think that there's also, and, and this is my fourth, my fourth layer, is that rituals connect us across time. And so I think that in, in performing a ritual, even when we're alone doing so, we can feel connected to our ancestors. We can even feel connected to other 
elements of ourselves, other people that we had done those rituals with or um, over in our past. And we can project into the future as well um, or in our, in our future self or, uh, and, and I, and I think in that, in that space of connecting to the past, grounding in the present and projecting and setting intentions for the future, that, that experience of, of timelessness yeah. Um, is deeply connective. Um, yeah. No, see, this is really important because I think how many of you here at the kingdom feel that sense of connecting into something, that last one, connecting across time, connecting into the future self, connecting with our past, connecting with our ancestors. To me, that's actually one of the things that I feel like I experience. That's number four is the one that's like the most present for me when I'm doing rituals on my own. Right. Like, and not even just, so here's the woo side, right. Of Justin, like, and I know we're all a little woo here, at least woo, woo adjacent, if not, but like the, the thing of like, even when I'm doing a ritual with the tree, like, it's like not just time, but it's like across like life forms for me. Like I'm, I'm recognizing sometime, like the life within all things, like the spirit within all things. And not just like the humanity that I'm constantly interacting with all day. I know a lot of other people are relating to this too as well. I think that's beautifully put. Yeah, that that we're never alone. That we are surrounded in the great expanse of life. Um, and that that can surround us and that we can be in dialogue with those, with that, that life with a capital L inside of ritual space. Yeah, that's beautiful. So I know, Ezra, one of the things that you often talk about, and tell me if it's okay that we go right here right now, is you have this amazing shtick that you do about habits and routines and rituals and intentions and really fully understanding the difference between all of those things. But maybe actually before we go there, because I know people are wondering this, why in the hell did you choose to devote your life in this way to rituals? Like what brought, I don't know anyone else in the world personally, who's like, I am a ritualist. I am a ritual designer. Like, so what, how did that happen? And why is that so important to you personally? Uh, well, I think it started as the, the, the seeds of it emerged from my backgrounds in theater. Um, I was a director and performance artist, and I got really interested in the intersection of arts and spirituality and the way that all of our art, all of our art practices today started as ritual practices, um, dancing, singing, um, you know, mask making, costuming, storytelling, like these were all spiritual, sacred ritual practices. And it's only sort of in modern times that we've we've pulled those apart. And I got really interested in how does transformation happen? When you're asking that question, how does transformation happen? Even though that's led me in a different direction in life, that really is like, and I've never thought about it this way, but I'm thinking that has been the guiding question of my life. Mm. How does transformation happen? And like, and then how do I do it? So thank you for pinning that here because I've never actually maybe that's why we feel so maybe that's why we feel so aligned with each other yeah Uh, yeah. similar guiding questions um 
You know, ultimately, I, I spent six years as the artistic director of, um, it's called Lab Shul, it's here in New York. It's an experimental, artist-driven, everybody-friendly, God-optional, pop-up Jewish community. It's very New York. Um, and I um, was just in a constant process of designing and redesigning and re, uh, ritual um, for, for a modern world and a modern seeking souls. And I just started seeing how, you know, rituals everywhere. It's everywhere. And, and especially these days where you just hear people talking about culture and community so much. And yet we lack this, an understanding of this fundamental tool that we've used for all of human history to create culture and to form strong communities. And I just felt like the designer, the experiential creator in me wanted to bring a new language to equip everyone, no matter what you're doing to deepen the experience of your rituals, you know, and to make them ultimately contain the possibility, the kernel of transformation. Um, so that's what really drives me. It's uh, the, the question that is driving me most right now is like, why are some rituals better than others? Like what's going on? Like what's the, what's the stuff that's like hidden that you're not even seeing, you're not even aware of, but it's acting upon you, you know? Yeah, this is, this is really beautiful. So I'm curious though, was there a moment in your life where there was some kind of ritual where they just always around you when you had an experience of ritual that made you go, oh shit, like this is what I need to devote my life to a little bit more. Was there any kind of defining moment for you or was it something that was just always around you? Um, both and, okay. I would say. Um, I mean, my father is a rabbi. My mother's a Jewish educator. I grew up very much like, you know, progressive, hippie, liberal, you know, crunchy, crunchy rabbi. But still, nonetheless, I grew up with a really strong sense of identity. I, I, I think a lot. And since we're talking about tiny, I have a lot of like the big mountaintop rituals. And I know that's your question, but I'll try to do a tiny ritual instead. Go ahead. Because that, that's the theme. So um, I, I would say a tiny ritual that was deeply transformative and, and shapes who I am today is the, maybe I would call it a tradition of eating dinner together as a family growing up. And I have three older brothers. And so, and we, without fail, would eat every single dinner together as a family, um, which was very difficult with all of our, with all of our schedules, but it was, it was, uh, it was an anchor point to our family. And, um, it was so much bigger than just the consumption of calories, right? That there was something that was shaping us in the enactment and experience of that ritual. And I think today, you know, I, I look at how much I turn to breaking bread and sharing a table together with people as like the, the anchor of where relationship happens. And I, you know, draw that directly to my upbringing and my childhood. This is so beautiful. And the, everybody in the chat's loving this right now. And uh, Cindy's like, yep, I, can, I knew he grew up with ritual. And Sandy is saying, as the daughter of a New York Jew, my dad, I keep hearing the song Tradition in my mind when thinking of the cultural importance of rituals. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, this is, this is really interesting. And I, I want to get into the thing, and you guys are going to be blown away by what Ezra has to say and how he defines these different things of like, what is ritual? What is a habit? What are these different things and intention and how it all matters? But I'm wanting to frame some of these bigger questions. I found it really fascinating. I think what really like 
hit me when you sent me some ideas for topics when we were talking about this and you said the power of tiny rituals. And I went, ah, because like, that's a different perspective than I think the way that most of us think of ritual. So what's the difference? Why should we be differentiating between these things? And why are tiny rituals maybe just as important? Are they more important than regular rituals? Talk to me about that. It's important to realize that there are billions of dollars being spent and some of the most talented, smart people in the world who are devoting every day of their lives to figure out how to get you to not pay attention and to be distracted Mm. and to think poorly of yourself, right? To to have negative self-talk that is only cured by consumption, right? Billions of dollars are being spent. That is what we're receiving. And they don't want us to be aware because when we're aware, we can discern. And when we can discern, we can see with clarity our lives and the abundance that is already existing, that is ever existent in our lives. And so... I think that it's in tiny rituals that we disrupt that. It's like, it's, it's our magic wand. It's our power tool to, um, to disrupt that and to be like, wait, 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 I'm going to call myself back to attention. I think tiny rituals help us zoom in and zoom out often in a moment, right? In a, in a single moment, we can zoom in and be super attentive and present to what we're doing. Oh, I'm making coffee. Where did this coffee come from? What a gift that I have running water. Can I take a deep breath and be present with this moment and actually engage all of my senses so that this is a full body experience and not just an automatic habit? Yeah. And also zoom out to feel in and to see inside that coffee bean, rain, sun, the moon, farmers, a... A, 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 a pilot that flew it across the country, a driver who picked it up from that plane and drew it to, drove it to a supermarket, all of the hidden hands that work to feed us. And that inside, is, uh, inside that bean is all of life. So zoom in, zoom out. And I think that tiny rituals help us do that. Um, yes. I'll I'll pause for a second, but I want to talk more about why tiny. (laughs) So I just want everybody to take a moment and just ground into how you feel when you hear something that is truth with a capital T like that. It's a real joy and pleasure to be seen and witnessed by you and by all of you in this moment in time and space, right? Like here right now, as we're recording this and everybody who's going to be listening to this on the podcast and like across time, it's all kind of collapsed and happening at once. So thank you. Um, I think also tiny because, and I love ritual and I have 10,000 excuses not to do them in my life. (laughs) Like my inner monologue for why not to do a ritual is maybe just as strong, if not as stronger than everyone else here. Um, the, um, it's so easy to say, no, I don't have time for that. Um, no, I don't want to be present. Um, no, I just want to, you know, you know, the, the, that voice is really strong. And so, and, and this is something that I've learned from a, from a few different teachers, um, BJ Fogg, um, who wrote tiny habits, 
which is a, a brilliant book um, about habit formation, um, who writes about creating a, like an opportunity that is so small, it's impossible to say no to, right? Because it's so easy to say no. And so you just like reduce it so small that it's like to say no actually takes more effort than to just say yes and do it. Um, so I find that to be really strong. There's also um, Mingyur Rinpoche, who wrote The Joy of Living. He, uh, they, they, they talk about, you know, they're really focused on a meditation practice and they really encourage people to do less formal practice than they're capable of doing so it doesn't become a burden. And that was then picked up by um, Meng Tan from Google and uh, uh, Search Inside Yourself, um, who's like, he like claims he's like the, the laziest meditation teacher, right? Because he just tells people to commit to one mindful breath a day, just one. And that if you just breathe in and out mindfully, your commitment for the day is fulfilled and then everything else is a bonus. Um, and so, and I, I'm really inspired by, by that approach that um, really breaks, you know, brings us into the, mm, the, the power, significance, and transformation that is possible through cultivation of awareness daily in your life. Yes. Rather than having to wait to the mountaintop for yes. the big transformation and those pictures that you show where it's just like something is cracked open and everything changes and yes, yes, mountaintop. We love the mountaintop. But then actually, as Pico Ayer says, how do you bring that experience of gathering stillness at the mountaintop into the commotion and motion of your everyday life? That's the challenge. That is right? the challenge. And that's, that's the reason for the tiny rituals. And what somebody just typed in creating an opportunity so small you can't say no. And also, I love what you're talking about, about bringing all of that awareness straight to these little moments. And so in that way, right, then it becomes, if I'm understanding you correctly, less about what you're doing and more about what you're bringing to what you're doing. Because like, you can just make your coffee in the morning and it could not be a ritual. Or you can make your coffee in the morning and it could be a ritual. And so there's these ways, am I getting that right from you, Ezra, that like, it's really about what you're bringing to that moment? Totally. Um, and this might actually sort of like ricochet us into the difference between ritual, routine, habit, and tradition, because those things end up, those, those words end up getting conflated in our culture. Um, I think about, I, I collect two things. I collect rocks and definitions of rituals. Um, and I love, I love it because there's so many and they're all true. Um, but there's a Catherine Mateague is an activist and minister talks about ritual as attention and intention, right? The quality of your mind, attention, and the quality of your heart intention. Um, and there's a, there's a simplicity to that, that I love. And it's by bringing that attention and intention, um, that we begin to transform the mundane into, um, into that opportunity for, for, for deep connection with yourself, with other people and with, the world. So Magdalena asks, can you address the shadow side of rituals? And is there a shadow side of rituals that we might know about or drop into that we make sure that we're aware of? Uh, yes, Magdalena. Thank you for that question. Yeah. Um, totally. I don't know if I'm going to answer the question that I, I'm not sure if this is what you mean, but this is how I hear the question. Um, Ritual is a neutral tool. 
as all tools are. It's a neutral tool and can, and, and it's incredibly powerful. And that power can be wielded in all sorts of negative, destructive ways. I think about the, I'm forgetting which book I just read this in, where she describes the ritual of online trolling, um, right? Where these like right-wing trolls um, are, you know, pounce on somebody. This actually happened to me. It was like 24 hours of, um, uh, of just my social account being blown up by these like really terrible homophobic and anti-Semitic comments. I don't know exactly how it happened. It lasted 24 hours. And there was something in doing it together, right? If you were just alone, like you like being mean to people on the internet, it wouldn't feel great. But when you're doing it together with a group and there's purpose and action and you're, you're, you've got coded language and you feel a part of something, it makes it powerful and you keep on doing it. So yeah, I see, I see all kinds of ways in which ritual can be manipulated. The power of ritual can be manipulated to, um, uh, to, to, to hurt, to coerce, um, and to, um, and yeah, yeah. So that I would, I I would mean that. So it's using, it's using the energy of ritual and all the things, attention, uh, you know, people power, togetherness, focus, all these different ways and putting it in direction that's causing harm versus what we're looking at at these other ways. That's really interesting. It's kind of like the dark side of rituals or again, the shadow side of rituals. An issue that I sometimes have with rituals is after a while, my like OCD or like perfectionism around the ritual itself will kick in. And I'll sometimes get into this phase of like, where it, it shifts from like ritual to almost like superstition to where if like I don't do it right, then then it's not going to work and something's wrong. I don't know if you ever heard anybody say this, but this happens to me all the time to the point where like people know that I have this ritual. A lot of people know that I have a ritual. Every time I eat, I offer the first bite of my food to the earth, right? I will put it in a little spirit plate and I'll go offer it to the earth. I've been doing it for like years. And then all of a sudden I started getting really perfectionist about it to where now sometimes I feel like if I'm in a place and I can't give my food to the earth, then, oh my God, like something's wrong. And I'll sit there and like, should I do it? Should I not do it? And then I catch myself like at a restaurant, like walking outside to like find a tree in the street so I can do it so nothing bad, like then it's going to mess up the whole ritual. You just, now I have a new chapter to my book that I now need to write. And I love that. So so thank you for bringing this in. Um, I think there are two things that are emerging in, in what you're describing. And they're two of the biggest misconceptions that I see about ritual. Um, the first is a, is the misconception that rituals must be repeated um, and consistently repeated in order for it to be a ritual. Mm. Every ritual that has ever been done was done for the first time at some point in history. And it was still a ritual. Right. It was a ritual that first time. And so repetition is one of the tools I call them. I have, um, my design process is called the ritual lines. Um, and it's the sort of seven lenses to look at ritual and to see what, what's going on there and why is it, is it, is it impactful? And one of the, the, the lenses is, is time and, and rhythm. And so repetition is one tool that you have to deepen the experience of a ritual, but it's only one of, it's only one tool. And there's the shadow side, which is that it can become rote and repetitious. And then I think it becomes a tradition, right? A tradition is an action, a repeated action that gains meaning through repetition. Um, but not all traditions are rituals. Right. Because rituals are intentional symbolic actions that 
heighten the importance, impact, or meaning. The other question people were asking was like, what about the rituals that you just end up doing because you do them and you have no meaning? It's just like a habit. So it's like, those are no longer rituals now. They're, they're almost, tra- they become traditions, basically. They become traditions. And I don't want to knock tradition. I, you know, I heard it was called out earlier. Tradition is powerful and important um, and, and meaningful for a lot of people. Um, but I think a lot of reasons why we are turning away from organized religions and looking to spaces like this um, is that tradition has just become, it has become so rote that the only, we've lost our understanding of why we are personally doing something and the purpose behind it. Um, And we're just doing it because we've always done it. And that isn't as satisfying as having a deep, intentional, symbolic reason um, that is personal, purposeful, and particular to you. The other misconception that I heard in what you were describing is this concept of rigidity. Um, The idea that rituals need to be fixed predefined formal sequences. Um, And yes, a lot of rituals do have a sort of specific series of actions, but their true transformational power, it can't be be captured in like a a, a step-by-step description. Um, Emile Durkheim, who's a a great um, uh, thinker on, on ritual, he describes his definition of ritual is collective effervescence. Yes. Effervescence? is a really hard thing. Uh, effervescence is in conflict with rigidity. Yeah. Right? And so the effervescence that you feel when you engage with offering um, your food to the earth might be lost in the rigidity of, I have to do this, I should do this, and I'm stressed because I can't do it the right way. You've lost the original intention around it. Yes. Because... In doing so, you might have even become blind. Like, oh, I need to offer food to a tree. You might have been, in doing so, you might have missed seeing the unhoused person who needs food that you passed on the way out the door to go find a tree. There it is. And you know what? This collective effervescence piece that's really important, you know, effervescence being this experience that we have that's like a word that kind of describes like awe, collectiveness, like feeling this moment together. Like for people who are wondering like, wait, effervescence, like, hold on, what do you mean? Like you've experienced it before. It's the moment when you're with a big group of people, like watching a sunset and it's just insane. Or you're at a concert and every single person at the concert starts singing at the same time and waving their hands. You're like, you know, like that is that collective effervescence of all of us together. And you can also experience it alone. Effervescence when you feel that connection into something more. But I think one of the things that you've just said that also echoes what one of my spiritual teachers that we've had on here named Brenda Via also said, because she will always put me in check when I, my OCD gets into my rituals, is she says, Justin, the universe is already supporting you. Your rituals are a bonus. Your rituals are the bonus. They're the icing on the cake. They're the little magic that you're doing to say thank you, to drop in and connect. And so it doesn't, the spirit doesn't fucking care if you do this order, this, 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 like spirits already supporting you. You're just like coming in and saying like, I'm paying attention. I'm saying, thank you. It's just the, it's the cherry on top. It's the icing on the cake. So like, don't take it too seriously. Ritual, routine, habit, tradition. Um, we conflate those words a lot in our, in our culture. Um, and I think a lot of the reason why we do so is because ritual sounds sexy. Um, <laughs> Right. I mean, it's like 
every time I see a shampoo commercial and they're like, your hair care ritual. And I'm like, you're just shampooing your hair. <laughs> it's like, uh, let's, let's be honest about what's happening here. Um, so, you know, there's no hierarchy. Habits are no better. Rituals are no better than habits. They're, they're just different tools that function differently in our life. Rituals are intentional symbolic actions that heighten importance, impact, or meaning. Rituals are, say that again for us, because I know they're going to want to type that in. <laughs> intentional symbolic actions that heighten importance, impact, or meaning. Yeah, that's really important. Okay. I will say this is my definition because I'm a designer and I, it's really important for me to be able to distinguish between these things. There's all kinds of definition. Um, Rabbi Chaim Stern, he writes, ritual is poetry and action. I love that. There's a simplicity in that. Um, one of my mentors, Charles Vogel, talks about, he's like, you know it's a ritual if you take it away and the moment feels less important. That's how you know it's a ritual. <laughs> uh, so so, so don't, get, don't get caught up in the rigidity of my um, definition. What I mean by that, though, is that uh, by intentional, I mean, um, and I, I sort of mentioned it earlier, there's three Ps. There's purposeful, personal, and particular. So all purposeful particular. Okay. Writing that down. So, so ask, ask yourself when you're doing something, three questions, why am I doing this? That's, that's your purpose. Why am I doing this? So what's your personal connection to it? And why am I doing this, this particular thing of all the things you could be doing? You know, I want to I, I want to honor my ancestors. I could light a candle. I could take their favorite food and bring it to a tree. Um, I could sit in meditation and sit with a photo of them in my hand. There's all sorts of things. So why this particular action of all the things you can do? You got these moments, Ezra. You got these moments that we love here at the kingdom. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And why am I doing this? That is amazing. Same question, emphasis on different words, and we got three different things. Purposeful, personal, and particular? Is that particular. it? Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Everybody's writing here. Ezra, please write a book. He's writing a book, y'all. We're good. He's on he's in it. And we're contributing now. Look at us. We're contributing to the book. So we're the other element to this to, to ritual and, and how it's distinct is is symbolic. Right. And so what do I mean by symbolic? I mean, um, and this comes from a behavioral scientist, Nick Hobson, who's been studying ritual. It partially lacks direct instrumental purpose. OK, so you can light a candle to put light into your room. You can also light a candle to honor your ancestors. There's something about it. And that is has nothing to do with the light that it is bringing. It is partially lacking a direct instrumental purpose. So there's that quality that it's like, it's like hidden behind the veil, right? It's like peeking at to peeking into mystery in some way, um, into that, that layer of meaning and reality that is bigger. It is in that moment, right? Of ringing a golden bell. It's like, what is that? What, what does it matter that you ring a golden bell? But in that moment, he, it has nothing necessarily to do with, healing him directly but it has everything to do with connecting him to every other person that has ever rung that golden bell and it has everything to do with the fact that in that hallway of all of those other rooms where there are still patients who are doing that hard work they hear that bell they hear that sound and they're reminded oh i can get out of this 
I can get better. I can get, he- I can heal. And it gives them that energy and that, uh, that, that, that inspiration to do that hard work. Right. So that's that quality of, of symbolic. Um, and then it heightens, it heightens, uh, importance, impact, or meaning. Um, it makes life, it brings you into contact with the power of life, of being alive. Yeah. Family dinner was a tradition. It was a thing that we kept on doing that grew in meaning through its repetition, right? Actions that gain meaning through repetition. Um, my three brothers and I, we always sat at the exact same table, uh, the exact same seats around the table, period. Like without fit, we never talked about it. We never discussed it. We didn't know why we did it, but like to sit in a different seat would have been unthinkable. It would, the whole universe would have exploded. I think, um, that was habit. Habits are automatic repeated actions. So, so that's habit. Um, it was not intentional, right? We didn't know why we were doing it or why we were doing it, why we were doing it. Right. It was just automatic. Now, before we started eating, we would wait until every single person was seated. Right. We would not, food was on the table, but we would not dig in until every single person was seated around the table. We held hands and we said the Jewish prayer of gratitude for, for a meal. That was our ritual. It was intentional. It had nothing to do with consumption of calories. In fact, it slowed us down. It made the thing take longer than it would have. It was functionally, causally opaque, right? It was symbolic. And by the way, on those layers of symbolism, you know, my brothers and I, there was always someone fighting with each other, right? Someone right before dinner was like, I'm never talking to you ever again, right? Like that was said maybe at least twice a week. And yet we sat down, we physically contacted with each other and we said something together. And that was this layer that made dinner more important and made it more about, not just about eating, but the enactment of our values of being a family. So that's ritual. And then routine at the end of dinner, um, there was the clean plate club, um, which meant that you had to finish all the food on your plate because of ancestral trauma. Yes. And- <laughs> I hate that freaking rule. I will never do that to my kids. I think it's the stupidest rule. I was talking um, about it this week at Esalen, but it's total ancestral trauma passed down. Total ancestral trauma. Yeah. Um, and then you had to bring your plate to the sink to, to wash it. Now, this was, this is routine. This is intentional, repeated action. Okay. okay. So what I mean by that is we knew why we were doing it, right? There was a direct, there was a purpose, right? There was a reason. It was clear. We were making it so my parents didn't have to wash as many dishes, right? And we were eating all the food. So there was intention, but it wasn't symbolic. It was doing the thing that it was doing. And it wasn't making dinner feel more important or, or meaningful, it was just functional. And so I think a lot about my morning routine of working out. Like, you know, I do 10 push-ups, which I know why I do it. It's to look good. That's the only that's the only reason. It has nothing to do with health. I just want to look good. So I, you know, will do my 20 push-ups or whatever. I it is intentional. I know why I'm doing it, but it's not symbolic. And it doesn't make life necessarily more meaningful. Now, if before I worked out, I looked in the mirror and I put my hands on my chest and my heart and I took a moment to appreciate being alive and that, Oh oh my gosh, I have a body and I can work out. What a privilege that is. 
to be able to work out and to move my body. Thank you. Thank you. And then work out. Well, I've just added some ritual to that routine. Mm, This is magic. And this is how we add rituals to so many things. Okay. So you gave us ritual habits, routine. You talked about tradition before, but does this weave in here as well? Yeah, traditions are actions that gain meaning through repetition. Okay. So that was that, that I would call that the dinner as a whole, right? Um, the fact that we did that weekly, every every day, um, made it more meaningful in and of itself, just through its repetition. Got it. Rituals are intentional, symbolic actions that heighten importance, impact, or meaning. Mm-hmm. Routines are intentional, repeated actions. Habits are automatic, repeated actions. And traditions are actions that gain meaning through repetition. Yes. I'm so glad you did that because feeling those together, we can see the connections between them, right? And, And how they all weave into one another. And I love that the way that you broke down the dinner, because you can see in something that we sometimes think of as a ritual, there's actually all these different elements inside of it. And even like a ritual of, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of like going to church, like when I used to go to Catholic church, and I used to be very engaged in the church, y'all. People here know that, right? I was like in the Catholic church, I did all things. I was in the choir, I played Jesus in the Passion Play. I also played Judas in the Passion Play, which was really fun to play both of them. And, you know, had all these different experiences. But I remember there were some moments that were definitely routine and some that were habits. So like the habit was like putting my finger in the little water and doing this when I walked in the church. Like I didn't even think about it. You just, you know what I mean? And like, okay, there it is. There's a little habit or maybe it's a routine, but it could have been both of those things. But when I think of the moments that were actually felt really sacred to me inside of the church versus the moments that were just kind of regular now I can pull out some of the things that actually felt like rituals. Like when I actually got down onto my knees and like was able to drop into my own personal prayer in church, that felt like a beautiful ritual to me every time. But when we did like the Our Father, especially in the Catholic, that version of the Our Father, I didn't even like, I would like basically was just saying it on autopilot. You know what I mean? So here we can do all these different versions inside of one event rather of the tradition of going to church so anyways all right Ezra do we have time do you have time Ezra to take us into a little practice here yeah I would love to I would love to um I I had two ideas of what to do in this moment and I was like just trust that after the conversation you'll know what to do so I'm going to check in with myself and see what feels like it is calling and emerging. Get comfortable, whatever that means for you. And to sit in a loving way, whatever that means to you. And rather than going right into closing our eyes, do something a little different. I'll ask you to take your hand and hold it, cradle it in the palm of your hand. And we're gonna just spend some time with our hand. 
and I'm going to take us through a brief history of this hand that you're holding right now. So just to begin, take, take a couple deep breaths in through your nose and out through your mouth. And allow your gaze to just softly come to attention with this hand. And you can feel the weight of it. You can flex it, fist it. And bring all of your awareness, all of your attention to it. So notice how the joints are allowing movement the articulation of bone and muscle, the intricacy of its structure. And we're going to just take the next few minutes to behold this hand as if you've never seen it before. Because what you are holding is a object that is unique in the cosmos. It's a human hand of planet Earth. Billions and billions of years ago, the cores of high-mass stars exploded, enriching dust clouds with the building blocks of life. And these building blocks created everything, including this hand in your hand, this one. The most common elements in the universe are hydrogen, helium, oxygen, carbon, and nitrogen, in that order. The most common elements in this hand that you are holding, in order, are hydrogen, oxygen, carbon, and nitrogen. The atoms that make up this hand are actually traceable to the heart of a star. We are in the universe, and the universe is in us. In the primordial seas where we once swam, this hand was a fin, as it was again in your mother's womb. 375 million years ago, our ancestors used those fins to crawl out of the ocean and onto land, and they became paws, and then they became this hand with its long finger and its thumb, which opened this whole new world of possibilities. We weren't as fast or as strong as animals, but we have this thumb that moves separately from our other four fingers. And with that, we shaped tools and weapons and survived. So just think about how this hand, this one in your hand, opened like a flower when it emerged from your mother's womb how small and adorable it was when it reached out to touch and explore and learn. I would learn to hold a spoon, to wave hello, to write its name, to wipe tears. Think about how much this hand has thrown out wasted, grabbed, hurt. 
think about how this hand has built, repaired, reassured, loved, given pleasure, protected, planted. There is nothing like this hand in all of the universe. So give it a squeeze. And give it a kiss. And I invite you as you move through your days as inevitably words of self-harm or self-deprecation worm their way into your head, that you can just come back to this, come back to your hand, come back to that moment of awe and appreciation for the wonder, the magic, the mystery, and for the expanse of time in just this, let alone your whole body. You can just sort of extend that gaze onto your body itself and take a deep breath into that space. And maybe to just close, we'll take that hand and we'll put it on our heart. Feel it beating. Remembering that we are alive, that we are living, that we are loved, and we are loving. Ezra Bookman. Magic, brother. Magic. Magic, magic, magic. Right here from my star hand to yours. And for everybody in the kingdom, you can put your hands up and just send that star power, star love right to Ezra. Wow. Oh, such a beautiful practice. I'm so grateful to have you here. This is the power of Tiny Rituals with Ezra Bookman. And Ezra, I'm going to start us out as we do our prayer, and I would love for you to close us close us out with the prayer, if that's okay with you. Does that work out? Okay. So family, put your star paws on your heart. Take a deep, full breath in and a breath out. God, spirit, universe, all that is, all that ever has been, and all that ever will be, thank you for this ritual, this ritual that we get to do with each other at the beginning and end of every kingdom session and every Sunday. May this community flourish and thrive, transform and dive deep, zoom in and zoom out to remember the effervescence and the magic and the stardust of this one big life. Ezra, 
take us home. And may we know that when we encounter the magic within, we are seeing, beholding, and being with the magic without. That the moments in which we slow down, may they soften us to the awe and wonder that it is to live, to be alive. And may the tiny little changes we make in our lives to be inside of our purpose and connected to the wider meaning of the world, may that ripple out farther and farther and farther so that we can be a light to ourselves and to others. And may that light grow and glow and radiate. So it is. Ashe. Aho, salam, amen, shalom, satnam, awen, om, pow. Thank you. 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 Thank you, Ezra. And, you know, thank you, community, for all of you coming together here again and again for 52 weeks strong. Next week, we celebrate our one year anniversary at the kingdom. Thank you, kingdom family, kingdom community for coming together and spreading this mission of love and hope all throughout the world, far and wide. This is Justin Michael Williams signing out. I love you, and I'll meet you right here in a special place next Sunday. Bye for now, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Kingdom Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love for you to rate it or subscribe. But most importantly, to send this episode to a friend or to someone you love. The only way we're going to see change in this world is by each of us spreading messages of hope into the corners of the world where only you can reach. So send this today to someone who needs it. I'm sure they'll thank you for it. This is Justin Michael Williams signing out. I love you. And I'll meet you right here in this special place in our next episode where we rise together. This is your moment, baby.